Hi, this is episode 12 of K. Ray Reads to You. Today we have part one of chapter two of Absolute Zero by Helen Cresswell. Chapter two. During the course of that day, the pile of recent newspapers and periodicals that lay on a shelf in the sitting room rapidly and invisibly leveled down to a mere handful of color supplements. The Bankthorps quite often all got the same idea at the same time, and quite often did not say a word to one another, each imagining him or herself to be the sole recipient of the particular inspiration. Tess playing her oboe, Rosie her violin, and William his drums, had each been lacking in their usual total concentration. Visions of Caribbean isles and palm trees danced between them and their semiquavers. Each, in turn, began to think along the same lines. Mrs. Bagthorpe was in her room up to her ear in problems and was not involved. Nor were Jack, who was in the meadow trying to train Zero to beg, and Grandma, who was in the kitchen cross-examining Mrs. Fosdyke on the finer points of bingo. Grandpa had gone away for a few days to play bowls. If he had been present, he would certainly not have gone in for competitions. Bowls. Bowls. I don't know what it is. A game. He was a very non-competitive man and the younger generation of Bagthorpes got all their drive from Grandma's side of the family. Mr. Bagthorpe was in his study, reflecting bitterly on the unfairness of life. That Uncle Parker, who to all appearances did nothing but sit around doing crosswords, or else tear about the countryside, putting the fear of God into old and young alike, should actually have won a Caribbean cruise simply by doodling on a form, was something Mr. Bagthorpe just could not take. He himself had already been sitting at his desk for nearly two hours, and all he had done so far was tear up five false starts to a script he was supposed to be doing. He would not have minded so much if Uncle Parker had won the prize by putting the right famous eyes into famous faces, or guessing where a football ought to be on a photograph, or something of this nature. It would even have been a fruitful source of sarcasm. But that Uncle Parker should have won a prize by using words which were the tools of Mr. Bagthorpe's own trade, and which he felt to be more or less his exclusive province, was a bitter blow. Nothing would do, he decided, but that he himself should win an even bigger and better prize with a shorter and better slogan. He was not a man to sit around playing with ideas. The minute he got one, he acted on it. The critics often described his scripts as monumentally single-minded or ruthlessly one-track. Mr. Bagthorpe took these as compliments, and they may have been, of course. Lear is monumentally single-minded, he would point out triumphantly. Othello was ruthlessly one-track, so was Macbeth. Mr. Bagthorpe then abandoned his abortive script and went to the sitting-room to find any magazines that might be running competitions. He had often noticed them in the past, but had thought it beneath his dignity to enter them. He had also, like Jack, thought that nobody ever won them anyway. He was not pleased to find that the magazine shelf had already been rifled, and guessed immediately what was afoot. He did not much like the idea that his offspring were intending to win competitions, too. It was, he knew, possible that he would end up by being a runner-up to one of them, Tess, in particular, who was very good with words. He instantly resolved, therefore, to keep his own competition-entering secret. He was sure he would win every one he entered, given that everything was all square and above board, and that he was not pipped by a member of his own family. 
If, however, the competitions were rigged, as he felt surely some of them must be, viz. Uncle Parker's success, and he did not win, then he would avoid loss of face. Mr. Bagthorpe was very bad at losing face. What's that mean? He did get ideas, however, and had one now. Competitions did not appear only in newspapers and periodicals. They also appeared on the backs, tops, and insides of grocery packages and tins. Uncle Parker's own success had depended upon the top of a sugar-coated puffball carton. He determined to raid the larder. This, he realized, depended on sidetracking Mrs. Fosdyke, who was not easy to dodge because she darted hither and thither about the house all day with the rapidity and in inconsequential tracking of a hedgehog. She could be in the bathroom one minute, a bedroom the next, and then back down the hall, following her own obscure method of housekeeping. He had to think of a way of keeping her out of the kitchen for at least ten minutes, while he had a quick sort through the pantry. He pondered this for some time. He hit upon a solution. It was a neat one. It killed two birds with one stone. In the kitchen, he found Mrs. Fosdyke serving coffee to his wife, the only member of the family who appeared to be interested in it. The rest, he surmised, were holed up in their rooms, hammering out slogans. "'Mrs. Fosdyke has just been telling me how she has kindly offered to take Mother to bingo tonight,' she greeted him. "'To what?' demanded Mr. Bagthorpe incredulously. "'To bingo, dear. It will take her out of herself. You know how drawn into herself she has become lately.' "'Laura,' said her husband, "'if Mother so much as sets foot in a bingo hall, there will be a riot. You know there will.' "'Nonsense, dear.' said Mrs. Bagthorpe firmly. She gave so much thought and time to other people's problems that as far as possible she tried to pretend that those of her own family were not there, in the hope that they would go away. "'My mother,' said Mr. Bagthorpe, "'and she is my mother, and I think I know her as well as anyone ever could, "'is a congenital cheater at games. "'No,' he held up a hand, "'don't bother to deny it. "'You were present, I believe, last week.' when she concealed the cue in her handbag, because all the U's had already gone. "'Oh, she won't be able to cheat at bingo, Mr. Bagthorpe,' said Mrs. Fosdyke positively. "'It's impossible. <clears throat> it's all done ever so fair and square and businesslike.' "'Is it?' Mr. Bagthorpe threw himself into a chair and reached for his coffee. "'Think they've got it organized, do they?' "'Oh, they have,' she assured him. "'They'd never keep going otherwise. "'It's got to be fair.' "'In that case,' he said, "'I prophesy, if you will excuse the expression, "'that whatever bingo hall you frequent "'will be closed down within the week. "'I also think it possible the police will become involved "'and that there will be adverse publicity in the local papers. "'Possibly,' pausing for a gulp of coffee, "'in the Nationals.' "'Oh, go on, Mr. Bagthorpe,' said Mrs. Fosdyke, skittishly. "'Henry, dear, you do exaggerate,' his wife told him. "'I think it will be the healthiest thing possible for Mother to do.' "'Oh, it'll be healthy for her, all right,' he agreed. "'There's nothing sets Mother up like an all-out row.' "'Well, let's just wait and see, shall we?' said Mrs. Bagthorpe sensibly. "'And thank you so much, Mrs. Fosdyke, for your kind offer. "'We are most grateful.' "'Ah, and that reminds me, Mrs. T—' "'Fosdyke,' said Mr. Bagthorpe. 
He had been about to say Mrs. Tiggywinkle, but stopped himself just in time. "'There's a little favor you might do for me, if you will.' "'Really?' She looked startled. Mr. Bagthorpe hardly ever spoke to her at all, and had never in memory asked a favor. He looked at her quite a lot, and she did not much like the way he looked, but he almost never actually said anything. "'If you'll excuse Mrs. Fosdyke, dear,' he said to his wife, "'I'd like her to pop down to the village shop for me. I'm in the middle of a very difficult patch with my script, you see, and there's some material I must have if I'm to get on.' "'Well, certainly I've no objection,' said his wife. "'If—' she looked inquiringly at Mrs. Fosdyke, who was already wiping her hands on her overall, preparatory to taking it off. She was going to enjoy telling them in the shop that she was there on an urgent errand to get something for one of Mr. Bagthorpe's TV scripts. "'What is it you're wanting?' she inquired. "'It may sound strange,' replied Mr. Bagthorpe, "'but what I require are current copies of the following magazines. "'Woman's Monthly, Mother and Home,' "'Happy Families.' "'He rattled off half a dozen more magazines "'that he felt sure would be rich in competitions. "'These he had selected a few minutes earlier "'from the Writers and Artists' Yearbook. "'They were none of them publications "'that were usually to be found in the Bagthorpe House. "'Mrs. Fosdyke looked surprised by this, "'but Mrs. Bagthorpe did not. "'I need,' explained Mr. Bagthorpe shamelessly, to get right inside the mind of the woman in the home, into the mind of a woman such as yourself, for instance, Mrs. Fosdyke. And that's the end of part one of chapter two of Absolute Zero. See you next time.